let them find night by night and tear by tear. Somehow, some way, we all get to someday, mile by mile and fear by Present pursuit, entertainment, education, some adjective to be named later. The Homestead Armory proudly presents Trek West 5, a conglomerate podcast of science fiction, politics, humor, pretty much whatever else they want to talk about. Your hosts, Trek West 5, Joey, Peter. Take a breath and take your time. Good evening and welcome to Podcast 188. I am Peter. And I am Joey. Uh, wow, everybody. <laughs> that was a long break. So sorry for the long break. Nearly two months. Um, and I'd like to say it's because we were prepping something really awesome. But nope, not even close. It was <laughs> just a whole crap storm of terribleness that seemed to happen that enveloped us. Wouldn't let go. Uh, but we're here now. So you can uh, you can rejoice and celebrate with us for that. Um, oh, let's see here. What uh, what do we need to talk about? What announcements do we need to make? Uh, the two months go by and so many things happen. It has been a crazy month. But what to talk about? Uh, you're going to have an Adventures in Republican. Yep. I hope with uh, a minor announcement that goes along with no, that. No, no, no. Damn. Yet. Um, and we'll do a Facebook find. We'll do a Joey's Culture Corner. We got a top five. Nothing from Brainy. I feel like uh, we lost him. I, maybe <laughs> we may have lost Brainy. Uh, or the email that I sent out Thursday um was not enough time. Who knows? Okay. Who knows? Uh, but he might he might still you know send something in. It's almost nine o'clock our time. Maybe he's he's just getting to it now or not. Maybe, maybe he's not. Who knows? Okay, what what do we want to talk about? What do we want to introduce? Anything interesting happen that we want to share? I've got a couple of things, okay. and then I've got some emails uh, from a few people that uh, you know they wanted me to share. I I think you, you need to run with this. You've got a plan. Uh, I don't actually. <laughs> um, so uh, thanks for nothing. Uh, John Leindecker said. Uh, no, that's Bob. Do, do, do. There's really John. The hey, guys. Have you pod faded? Please say no. I truly enjoy your podcast and would hate to see it disappear from my iTunes feed into my iPhone. I've been listening for almost three years now. Maybe you guys just gave up podcasting for Lent. 
<laughs> Perfectly understandable. But Easter is this Sunday, uh, which by the way, we sent this uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, or have the adventures in Republicans actually drug Joey into jail? <laughs> Pretty close. In either case, or some other circumstances that may be preventing you from recording, I hope that you resume soon. John. Uh, yes, we are resuming soon, uh, tonight, as it turns out. So, not, yeah. not necessarily soon in relationship to when you sent that email, but soon in relationship to when we read it on the air. <laughs> yeah. Here's one from listener M. Hey, dudes, I guess your friendship didn't survive the finale of BSG. <laughs> Who's this from? Sorry. This is listener M, Mark. M, okay. Uh, Joey got too upset at how it turned out and caused a lot of destruction to Pete's house. Also, your fly is unzipped. Okay. Uh, I hope you are all not too busy and will eventually get back to recording a new podcast. M. Uh, yes, as I mentioned in John's email, we, we will be returning tonight. Okay. Let's see here. Oh, another one from listener M. Uh, woohoo! You guys surprised me. I thought you were going to enjoy 2014 as a sabbatical year for the <laughs> podcast. I look forward to hearing your wrap-up of BSG. It wasn't that bad, was it, Joey? Uh, I'll answer that question later. Yeah, um, I better stop there, because he's got a couple of other things to start talking about BSG. We're not ready for it yet. Now, listener Fishhead, that's his top five. And... Oh, yeah. Okay. That's enough of the emails for now. Okay. Now, I had the wonderful opportunity um, to attend Comic-Con oh, yeah. this year. So, last year, Comic-Con was in uh, September-ish, I feel like. Anyways, a big deal. First time ever for Salt Lake. Just a couple of blocks down from our office. I ended up going one day. Had a blast. So much fun. It uh, filled up, uh, you know, part of the convention center. Um, and then, you know, it ended. And uh, I was like, oh, okay, this is great. I'm going to go back next year. And then I find out, oh, they're doing one in April. This is, why are they doing one in April? They're going to do another one in September, I know. Why are they doing one in April? So I was humming and hawing about this because I'm like, oh, come on. I can't. This is just a money grab. They're trying to do this, you know, get more. Wasn't it a different group? No, it's the same group. Oh. Yeah, exact, exact same website. Fan experience, not Comic-Con. No, it was still the, it was the exact same website mm -hmm. that, uh, that put it on uh, last year. Uh, I think they're probably just branding it different so that uh, people don't feel like um, they're getting you know, double dipped. Yeah, kind of thing. So as as we recall, last year I got uh, I got this nice little the thing Highlander. here. Yep. Yeah, Adrian Paul signed uh, a little eight by ten glossy for me. Big fan of this. Keep it my desk at work. Really <laughs> enjoy this. Um, and uh, th this year I I actually had a couple of friends who were doing uh, artwork. They were in the artist alley. Okay. And so I made sure I said, you know, I'm gonna go. I want to at least support them. So I went down there. I actually bought some things. Um, and, uh, you know, I was just browsing around the artist's alley. 
and I came across this guy that I saw last year. And I was just flipping through his stuff. And, well, it wasn't until I was flipping through his stuff that I found a piece that I was like, oh, my gosh, I loved this. And I didn't feel comfortable buying it last year. And so I said, okay, I'm going to get it this year. Okay. I'm going to get this this year. And so I, it was the last one he had there, you know, the, of the print. And so I said, this is awesome. He, he signed it for me. It's a little disturbing. <laughs> okay. Now, I showed a couple of people at work. I have not shown you this yet. Uh, but it, uh, I think it's fantastic. Very macabre. Okay. Okay, so here we go. <laughs> if you can see that there well that, enough, that not is, a glare. That uh, is Ronald McDonald holding the head of the Burger King. Yes, and he's <laughs> he's got his scepter in his hand, and he very Joker esque, very Joker esque, yeah. Um, and I when I saw this back in September, I was like, "This is so awesome! I just love this." But I I said to the artist at the time, I said, "This is phenomenal," but there's just there's no way I could put this up in my house. <laughs> and I said, "I I just want you to I I wish I could get this because this." It's it's fantastic what you've done here. And he said, no, no, I understand. I get it. It's it's a little, you know, rough, and it's not something you'd want to share with the family. Um, you know, he was really polite about it. But this year I saw it, and I said, no, I'm getting this. It is really just that good for me. It is pretty cool. Uh, so big uh, big fan of what I got there. Now, this... Uh, this by, con- by the way, I wish our listeners could see this visual you have of yeah. this file folder that you're... <laughs> pulling things out of this is from work it was where i stuck all of my you know stuff and uh so anyway i didn't want those to get damaged i got you. uh so wanted to be careful with that anyway back to comic-con so i mentioned last year you know it, it filled up you know part of the convention center this time it filled up the entire convention center <laughs> huge huge amount of uh, uh of vendors and artists that were there it was just massively big and they had a lot of huge names that came through yeah. um the uh the girl uh karen gillum who played um uh pond um in uh, um, uh doctor, doctor who. who she actually walked right past me so there was this one particular booth i won't mention what it was but i sure did like to hang out a lot around that general area <laughs> anyway i was was it the one where you bought my t-shirt no <laughs> no uh, I saw that thing, and that was like, I I just knew to, that I needed to get it. But I'll, okay, I'll tell that story real quick. So I saw this T-shirt. But most of you have seen this now. But uh, the T-shirt that I got Joey, I saw it, and I thought, oh my gosh, that's fantastic. That's brilliant. That is Joey <laughs> right there. And so I, uh, you for, know, for people who haven't seen the shirt. It is Batman holding Fluttershy. <laughs> one of the My Little Ponies. And the best My Little Pony. Oh, so okay. The right my, you got the right one. Uh, and, and he's just kind of like snuggling with her. And then it says the dark brony across the top. Yes. And I want to make it very clear. I made no effort whatsoever to make sure it was the right pony. <laughs> Happy accident. Indeed. It's just proof. That Fluttershy is indeed the best. <laughs> so I, uh, I, I talked to the guys like, hey, you know, I got to find out what, what size. I called you. Well, I texted you. You didn't respond. Big surprise. Called you. You called right back. And you're like, oh, yeah, I, I need this size. So I walked up to the guy and I said, hey, I, you know, I need this size. And he, I said, do you, do you have that? Is Double extra large. And uh, he's like, he looked at me. He's like, 
Yeah, I, I, I got up to, you know, 3X and 5X. <laughs> and then it dawned on me, right, of course, <laughs> I sh- how stupid of me not to realize the, the, the girth of market. people. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that was, that was fun. Anyway, well, uh, over by the booth that uh, uh, was really awesome that I won't mention... And I'm, it's, there's this little alleyway, and all of a sudden, the, I hear event staff saying, Make room! Clear out! Get out of the way, everybody! Make room! And I happen to look up just as Karen Gillum is walking right past me. Very thin woman, by the way. And I get uh, got to see her right up close. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's, that's the story there. Anyway, there are other big, big names. There are a lot of people from TNG. Uh, Jonathan Frakes, Brent Spiner, Michael Dorn, Marina Sirtis, uh, Gates McFadden, and then, of course, uh, Captain Jean-Luc Picard himself, Patrick Stewart, shows up, and he was, like, he was really the big name, and they didn't announce him until, like, the day before, um, and so there are massive lines. There were some friends of mine who got some things signed, some other friends who got picture with him. Um, it, huge, huge, huge draw. So I, I do have a uh, one funny little anecdote here. Uh, the day of Comic Con, my wife, or the, the Saturday that it was on, uh, my wife came in and said, "Are you going to go up to Comic Con?" And I said, "No, I, I, I'm not going to do that." She said, "But Magneto's there." Magneto. And I said, "What?" She said, "Yeah, Magneto from the X Men." I said, "No, he's not." So we went online, looked it up. I'm like, no, I, I don't see any indication that Ian McKellen is uh, Sir Ian McKellen mm-hmm. is, is at Comic Con. She said, no, 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 the guy from the X Men. <laughs> and I said, yeah, Ian McKellen. <laughs> she said, no, no, the other one. <laughs> and I said, Patrick Stewart. You mean Professor X? Yeah, that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that's. <laughs> that's precious <laughs> um yeah anyway really really big um so i didn't like there were a few people there that i would have loved to have met um but i was like eh, i don't really want to do this i looked at some of the pricing and it was it was pretty pretty dear um you know we're talking 60 bucks to mm-hmm. to go do stuff anyway i was walking out i said you know i this has been fun I, you know, I've, I've had a good time. I've only been here a few hours. I actually went to panels. First time I went to panels and they were actually pretty interesting. I, I, I liked uh, a couple of the panels. One was like, uh, something about how to write good space opera. Okay. You know, Babylon five to, uh, BSG with, you know, Star Trek, Star Wars, you know, all of that kind of stuff mixed in, uh, writers from each of uh, those different groups of people. Interesting. Um, and, uh, and that was, it was kind of interesting. And anyway, on my way out, going home and I, I see this one particular booth and I'm like, Hey, no, oh, I could, I could go up and see that guy. And I looked at the, the little price sheet there and see, Oh, it's only 20 bucks to get a picture taken 30. If I want to get an autographed picture. Um, and I'm like, oh, I'll just go get a picture with a guy. So I walked up chatted with him for a while so i really enjoyed your character enjoyed what you do what else are you doing right now we chatted this and that for a little while and then i said okay well yeah i'd I'd love to get your picture um and he said sure yeah that's great so i got my picture do you recognize that person is there a glare 
Uh, my eyes are bad. Hold on. Well, we'll lean forward. Oh. It's uh, Galen Tyrrell. Galen Tyrrell happened to be there. Now, there was nobody in his line. <laughs> That's unfortunate. Nobody. And so a part of me was sort of like, eh, I feel bad for the guy. <laughs> uh, but the other part of me was like, you know, I, I could have plenty of time to chat with him and, you know, we could get a picture and it'd, it'd be really cool. And uh, so I did. It was a lot of fun. I think I secretly might have insulted him. Oh, yeah? Because when, when I was talking to him, by the way, we'll, we'll post this up to, uh, to the Facebook page um, so, that, uh, so that everybody can see. Um, anyway. He, uh, I, I said, you know, hey, what else are you doing? You know, I, I really enjoyed your character. You know, I, I like you as an actor. What else are you doing? It's like, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm doing, I've got a few games coming out that I've done some voice work for and a couple of other voice work things and uh, some the sci-fi channel, you know, we're, we're doing something there. And I kind of giggled and I said, is it like the, like, you know, the, the, the normal, you know, sci-fi <laughs> channel kind of movie? And at the time, I didn't think anything of it. After I left, I was like, that's got to be really insulting. <laughs> and the way he answered it, he's like, nah, you know, it's, it's just another movie. We, we all know what we're making when we're doing this, <laughs> these movies. And, you know, he was very good-natured it about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, anyway, he, uh, you know, we chatted for a sec, and I said, you know, I actually do a podcast. We, we just recently covered the BSG series. After I left, I got home later that night, several hours later, I thought, I am such an idiot. I should have asked him, well, yes, there's that. (laughs) Instead of taking the picture, I should have had him record something. And two, I should have asked him, hey, were you happy with the way that your character was resolved at the end? Because it was just sort of like you lean up against the wall and that's it. There's nothing else that happens to, to Chief Tyrrell. Uh, and I wish that I had to the extent now, if I see him again, I'm going to go ask him that question. Hmm. Not sure he'd, he would come back, but anyway, he might. And I'm going to make an effort to get recordings rather than pictures or autographs of people. Um, yeah, and... just get him saying, I'm so-and-so and you're listening to Trek West 5. Yep, that's exactly right. Yeah. So anyway, uh, Comic-Con is going to come again back uh, to us in September, I'm pretty sure. So well, I will have another story when, when that happens. Okay. So Comic-Con, you didn't go. You made a huge mistake. Loads of fun. I'm sure that you had lots of fun. I know myself well enough to know that it is so much fun. I, you would just... have enjoyed yourself even at the – like definitely at the, the panels I went to – which is, you know, it's just a room and people fill yeah. in with chairs and sit there and listen to people talk about stuff. You would have really enjoyed that. I'm confident you would have. I actually didn't have. realize that Comic-Con had panels. Mm-hmm. I thought it was just the the big room of people just milling around. and No, no, no. The, definitely. Matter of fact, uh, there was one particular thing. Uh, um, there was a TNG panel uh-huh. where all of the people from TNG were there. Uh, William Shatner was moderating it, <laughs> so I'm sure that would must have been spectacular. Um, but uh, no, matter of fact, there was a couple of people that mentioned LTUE because somebody okay. made a comment. They're like, "Oh no, no, no! We've actually talked about this before at LTUE." Because someone made I can't even remember what the comment was, but anyway, people who have been to LTUE were were here. Sure. Um. Yeah, plus the Artist Alley. There were tons of really, really cool stuff. Tons of cool stuff. Right on. Yeah. 
Okay. Uh, let's see here. Should we do Facebook Find of the Week? Sounds good. Let's do it. Um, Facebook Find of the Week goes to Curtis Mortensen <laughs> for posting up a picture of Joey wearing the dark brony t-shirt. <laughs> feel it's only right that he should win for that uh, because spectacular here's the thing joey uh i gave it to well it was on his chair when he got into work the next day and or the uh, monday the next time work came around and curtis saw it and when you saw it he's like oh yeah put it on let's let's take a picture you put it on and then you left it on for and you were already wearing a shirt (laughs) underneath (laughs) and you kept wearing the other shirt and i actually i actually had to tell you you, you know, you, you, you could just yeah. take the thing off, right? <laughs> Until you made it clear that you would not be offended if I took it <laughs> off. <laughs> just the idea, because you, you had a collar askew coming out the side. <laughs> uh, anyway, so Curtis, congratulations. You will continue to not receive an award. Um, all right. Should we do Adventures in Republican? <laughs> or would do- you like to do a top five? Let's do Adventures in Republican. Okay, let's have it. So yesterday I attended the 4th District Court of the state of Utah. Yeah! For the appeal of the previously resolved uh, libel and slander suit between Julie Blaney and Daryl Acumen. And uh, the best way I can describe it is four hours of tense boredom followed by about four minutes of super stressful anxiety. Uh, as, as I sat there and waited my turn to be called, I got called, I got cross-examined, and then I went and sat down. And then after that, I don't really remember most of the rest of the <laughs> afternoon. Uh, it was, you know, I, I just, people are so dumb, Pete. And I don't know why this thing has gotten so big. I can understand why uh, Julie feels that she needs to, to sue here. The idea that the vice chair feels that he still needs to push on this point and drag people's name through the mud and and just attack people for no good reason. His lawyer, I'm I'm just going to say, if you've ever watched a movie where the defense attorney was painted as a bulldog that had no morals, (laughs) you've seen this guy. Did he really? Did he come at you? Oh yeah, he came after me really hard. Because uh, there was one email exchange between Daryl and I. So this is all over a one thousand dollar in kind donation of some Constitution booklets. Yep. I knew that it was an in kind donation from the start. I was told it would be an in kind donation. I was fine with that, no problem. And I was told it was from a guy named Mark Patey. Well. When Daryl emailed me to ask me to look into the issue, he said it was a $1,500 check that was missing, and he misspelled the guy's name. He said Mark Pratty. And my response in the email was, I have no idea who Mark Pratty is, and there's no $1,500 check missing. So the attorney was grilling me because I said, I don't know who Mark Patty is, and so how could I then swear to the things that I swore in my affidavit mm-hmm. if I don't know who Mark Patty is? I said, look. He spelled the guy's name wrong, and he got the amount wrong, and there was never a question in my mind that we were going to get a check from the guy. So I don't know what you expected, what kind of mental magic you expected me to do to figure out what he meant by this. I responded to his email and said, I don't know who you're talking about. I've never heard of this guy. 
and but really called my character into question. I mean, mm-hmm. he he went after me as far as my ability to recollect and to accurately represent things, and and I understand why. The judge in the small claims court said several times, "Yep, most compelling is the testimony of Mr. Joy Smith." So I know I know why they came after me really hard, but it was uncomfortable and frustrating. The uh, the the judge called timeout. I don't I don't I don't know what the term is, but <laughs> it hit five o'clock, and the judge is like, "You know what? I'm not staying late for this tonight." I've got somewhere else I need to be. We're done. You will come back and do closing arguments on a different day. And then they set up a time. So March 19th is when the attorneys will go back and do closing arguments, but I don't have to be there for that. March 19th? May 19th. Sorry. All right. May 19th. And then they have, I think, up to a week after that to eat, to post their findings. So it was... And so So I... Can I, can I actually just lead from Adventures in Republicans straight into Joy's Culture Corner? Because it's a natural flow. Sure. Okay. Uh, so I, I left the court case, went straight to executive committee meeting, which was chaired by the vice chair because the chair is out of town. And I was acting as secretary pro tem because the secretary is out of town because neither of them wanted to be called as witnesses in the court case. <laughs> You can do that if you if they can't man- find you to serve you papers, then you don't have to go. You're not. You've never been subpoenaed. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So they both arranged to be out of town this whole week because they knew that the subpoenas were going out. I got my subpoena Tuesday night. Mm-hmm. Uh, they both had arranged to be out of town this week because they knew the subpoenas would be going out. So they they in fact they both told me specifically. Yep, I'm going to be out of town because I don't want to get subpoenaed. So let them try and track me down somewhere else. <laughs> sure. Uh, so after sitting in the court and testifying against the vice chair, then I had to go sit next to him for about three or four hours and hold an executive committee meeting and try and be civil to one another. It was a stretch. Yeah. To say the least. But uh, I, I left that. It was about nine thirty, ten o'clock. Drove home. Went in and asked my wife. You know, as I was driving home, I was just thinking, you know what? This has been... Just a rotten day all around. Just a really, really terrible day. I want to do something to make it better. And I turn the radio on, and I hear the the Nightside Project, which is a local radio show on KSL, and they are at the movie theater for the premiere of the Adventures or the Amazing Spider-Man Two. Mm-hmm. My son has been talking about this movie every day for the past month. Dad, there's going to be an Amazing Spider-Man Two. And it's going to have the Green Goblin, and it's going to have Rhino. Yeah. Just super, super excited. His, his, I think Spider-Man is his favorite superhero. Uh, although he prefers Star Wars to superheroes, but, you know. And so I went into my wife, and I said, how was JJ today? She said, actually, he was really good. I said, fantastic. He's 12 years old. It's time he started going to midnight releases of movies. <laughs> so I went down and woke him up. I said, Buddy, get up. We're going to go see The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Dad, it doesn't come out until May 2nd. I said, it is May 2nd. Get up. (laughs) (laughs) But it's past my bedtime, Dad. (laughs) Mom will get mad, I think is what he said. I said, your mom doesn't decide stuff like this. I do. Get up. We're going to the movie. (laughs) So I took my son to see the midnight showing of uh, The Amazing Spider-Man 2. And that is Joey's Culture Corner this week. Okay. Okay. 
And I'll be honest, I did not like The Amazing Spider-Man. I, I didn't think it was a good movie. I felt like the story was too choppy and inconsistent. They rushed through what I thought were some important parts of the development of the character of Peter Parker as he's becoming Spider-Man to get to the fight scenes. And then the fight scenes were not that great. And then they rushed to the end of the movie to get to the emotional moment with uh, Gwen Stacy's dad where he dies and asks Peter not to involve his daughter in any of this. I felt frustrated. I walked out of that movie just like, oh, if this is going to be the, the way these next three or six or however many movies go, this is going to be really frustrating. But this time around, they took a lot of time to focus on the character development of Peter Parker. I thought they did a fantastic job of, of showing the things that he's going through and trying to give the audience some kind of emotional tie into the character in between the big fight scenes. Uh, the, the action sequences were certainly exciting. My, my son told my daughter on the way into school this morning as I was driving them to school, he said, Beth, I don't know if you'd like Spider-Man. There's some pretty scary parts. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I said, oh, really? Uh, what, what parts are you scared by? And he mentioned a few things specifically. I was like, yeah, I guess that was a little. <laughs> but, you know, he, he's a good kid. We, we can talk about these things. I'm not super worried about. I don't think I've scarred him for life or anything like that by this. <laughs> uh, but uh, all in all, uh, as a movie that develops more the human side of Peter Parker, the emotional tie from the audience to the character, I give this a thumbs up. Okay. But uh, storytelling as uh, you know, the movie was didn't sound like it was that great. It was better than the first one. <laughs> uh, I, I, I mean, it, you know, it's, it's Spider-Man. There's just not that much story there. Yeah, I, I just don't care about Spider-Man. It just really... I don't know if as a kid I never got into him, but I just... Maybe it's the Tobey Maguire movies that, <laughs> that came out. Uh, I, the character of Peter Parker just seems like a whiner. An I can annoying see, I can see where you would get whiner, that. and that gets old for me. Yeah. But as a kid that you know the JJ is, um, who probably saw those as you know much younger kid and just lashed a hold of that idea of this particular superhero, I could totally get that. Yeah. Totally get that. So that's awesome that he was able to go and have a, a good time. How was school today? Do you know? I don't know. I haven't heard from my wife today. I I, I did tell when I when I. Decided I was going to take him. I, I, we, we actually made an agreement that he had to have certain behaviors the next day, and there were certain expectations there. Okay, so we'll, right. we'll, we'll see how it went. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully, it did. I would imagine it would be pretty tough, you know, to. <laughs> it's close to a two-hour movie. I would imagine. Yeah, it was actually two and a half hours. Two, two hours and forty-five minutes by the time we got home and he got back to bed. Yeah. All right. Well. I'm glad that you but were able to have... this morning when he woke up, he was in a good mood. He seemed happy and cheerful and bright-eyed. Uh, you know, so I, more, more I to the like... point, though, I, you had a fun experience with your son. Yes. Going and doing something, a dad and his son. Yep. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's see here. We have got a couple of emails that came through. Um, this one's from The Intern. And he sent in a top five, <laughs> top top five series finales, which we didn't get 
at the time. Yeah. But he sent it in, so we're going to read it. He says, number five, Global Frequency, Season 10, Episode 23. <laughs> Ten glorious seasons, and thank goodness uh, for Joey showing me that uh, that show could have been downright evil. Um, let's see here. Number four, The Simpsons, Season 12, Episode 20. Great place to end so that the show didn't go too long. <laughs> Number three, The Big Bang Theory, Season 6, Episode 24. Leonard gets a, gets a gig for Hawking, and he, and he, everyone, is happy. Nice ending. He, everyone? Okay. I guess. Number two, Gilmore Girls, Season 5, Episode 22. Lorelai asks Luke to marry her. Then they made the movie with the wedding. Just awesome. <laughs> Number one, Battlestar Galactica. I know it was only a three-hour miniseries, but the so-say-we-all speech was a truly great ending. It sure has taken you to a long time to dissect a miniseries. It's a fun little fantasy world that Aaron lives in. <laughs> Uh, okay, let's see here. The only other person who did our top five is a listener, Fishhead. He says, uh, five possible real reasons for lack of TrekQuest 5 podcasts since the beginning of March 2014 in no particular order. Pete needed to wait until he had a resplendent beard for the Podcast 188 video. <laughs> Uh no no you turns out the that beard. you I, had the resplendent the, the, beard and it's yeah. gone now the beard is gone yes Joey is still recovering from being kidnapped and tortured by local Democrats trying <laughs> to get an understanding of the inner workings of the Utah County Republican Party <laughs> I like that one <laughs> um uh, let's see here Peter brave uh, barely got their recording equipment back after hooking it. Hawking it to get funds to cover March Madness bets. <laughs> Ugh, that would never happen. I cannot stand basketball. Since the last podcast, Joey has been lost to the outside world, discussing religion and all things BSG with his own head six. <laughs> <laughs> That's a real possibility. <laughs> I could think of worse things yeah. to, you know, hallucinate. And finally, both Joey and Peter finally are recuperated enough following weeks of heavy celebration of Kim Jong-un's unanimous North Korea election win. Um, well, nope, it wasn't that. <laughs> it, it could have been. It could have been. It wasn't, but it could have been. Uh, let's see here. Just double check. No, John did not send in. Okay. So that is uh, uh, top fives there. Uh, Joey, do you want to give us your top five? Sure. Uh, my number five plausible reason, Peter fired Joey from the podcast and can't figure out how to record one. <laughs> That's a very real concern. <laughs> uh, number four is Peter and Joey died in a car accident. Oh, oh, that's unfortunate for us. No, number three, Super Lent. <laughs> <laughs> it lasts seven weeks. <laughs> uh, number two, a zombie apocalypse. Zombie apocalypse. And number one, 
a nuclear winter focused only in Salt Lake City, Utah. <laughs> uh, okay. My, uh, my five are a little more realistic. <laughs> okay. Number five, apathy. <laughs> Which... I mean, it's a little funny, but in reality, there were a number of times I was just there's no. Not, there's some truth to it. <laughs> no, no, I don't. I don't even participate in podcasts. Number four, legal proceedings. That was a very real that, thing yep, that got in the way. Uh, number three, illness. Illness. A lot of people don't probably can't hear it because you sound fine. Uh, but there was uh, quite a while where you were, I don't know, close to death. Is that the safe way to put that? <laughs> I, I was really sick. I uh, What happened was I, I contracted strep throat. Uh-huh. I didn't know it. I thought I just had a sore throat. Didn't think too much about it. Just kept going. Uh, in fact, I, I came into work after traveling and getting worse during traveling because, you know, your stress and the immune system goes down and things like that. Uh, I came into work on on a Friday, and I, I still only have vague memories of even what I did that day. It was I, I do remember laying on the floor because yep. the cold uh, plastic roller under the chair was yep. nice and cool, and my face was so hot. Um, anyway, it was it was a it was a terrible day. So the the next day, or I think Monday, the Monday after that. I can't remember. It's it's pretty fuzzy. <laughs> uh, I went into the doctor at some point, and the doctor said, well, apparently you've had strep throat for a while now, and it has now developed into both tonsillitis and pneumonia. Yeah. And uh, that next week, I I literally only got out of bed to pee and eat. <laughs> uh, I just, I sat, I laid in bed for almost an entire week. Uh, almost the full seven days just in bed because I just felt so miserable. I was weak. I was tired all the time. I slept a lot. <laughs> uh, and it was just, it was a, a really, really rotten time. I'm still struggling a little bit from pneumonia. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I got a call back earlier today from my lung guy. I can't remember. <laughs> they told me what kind of doctor he is, but I've forgotten now. Uh, because it's been lingering. I, I finished the course of antibiotics. They took some shots of my chest. I'm still feeling miserable. They took some shots of my chest. Said, yeah, there's still something in there. So they shoved a camera down me. Yep. And took a look in there, and, and he called me back and said, oh, it's just infection. You, you've you got pneumonia. We'll get you on, you know, renew your course of antibiotics and get you back on that until you get it kicked. So it's been it's been rough. Mm-hmm. But like I said, you don't sound bad, um, and even the coughing really isn't that pronounced. The the it's not. The, I don't need to cough that much. Mm-hmm. It's just when I breathe in, I'm not getting as much air as I'm used to. So I feel like I'm panting all the time. Right. Right. Ho- hopefully, it's not coming through too loudly over the microphone. But I'm breathing a lot harder, laboring to breathe just to get the same amount of air in. As right. I'm used to right. Having. Okay, well, like I said, he is there. Massive improvements. He is on the mend, uh, so to speak. But uh, yeah, illness, illness. Number two, work. <laughs> yeah, uh, work was just horrendous. So we actually could have recorded last week. So anyway, March happened. 
Um, I was ridiculously busy getting ready for um, Adobe puts on a, a marketing co- uh, convention every year in Salt Lake City. Our, we go to that. We, we get to put on a presentation. I was responsible for putting on that presentation. So there was a ton of work that went into that for me. Ate up a lot of my time. Anyway, there are a few little things uh, you know that came up in during apathy. I mentioned the illness. Last week, we could have. But my boss springs on me like the night before. Hey, why don't you come help us uh, do the, you know, present to this particular client? Uh, you know, some of the things we're talking about, you would be really be able to to do. So I came home that Thursday night, and I was up till probably about twelve thirty, getting ready for that. Then I was in early the next morning, and so by the time we were all done with that, which by the way we got the contract, yeah, um, I was like, no, no, no. Not no, <laughs> not gonna do this. Um, so yeah, that that yeah. At the same time, you were doing a presentation. I also did a presentation uh, for a different event, but we were both practicing, rehearsing our presentations, writing our content, things like that, about the same time. Mm. That's right. The uh, the DevOps thing, right? Yes. Is that what yep. you're referring to? Yeah. yeah. Um, Mine was only five minutes. I think yours was an hour. <laughs> but I think I stressed just as much about the five minutes as you did about the hour. <laughs> so, so a funny a funny kind of set, set of stories that, that go along with this. In order to get, you know, we're a sponsor at this thing. So we get this booth down on the floor. It's Adobe. You uh, would do a lot with Adobe products and whatnot. So, you know, this is a big chance for us. But in order to be down there to be a sponsor, we have to pay about $100,000. Hmm. Not cheap. Then on top of that, there's all of the work that goes into preparing for it. And we have a, you know, staff of, you know, close to eight people that were, you know, putting in a significant amount of their time plus their other duties. Um, so there's, there's all this extra cost that goes into this. Um, and then there is the week of the convention. We're basically there at the convention, yep. not at our offices doing any work, uh, or not our traditional work. Anyway, I told my boss, I said, look, I don't know how to look. I don't know what to wear. I don't know how to be presentable <laughs> up great. there and represent the company. You need to take me shopping and put me in clothes. And we had an argument you know, where he's like, oh, I'm going to pay. Don't worry about this. And I'm like, no, you don't need to. I'm fine paying for this. Just get me in clothes that will represent the company. So we go shopping at Nordstrom. And uh, I'm not. I'm just putting on clothes, changing clothes back and forth all <laughs> through the night. And uh, we finally get the outfit: pair of shoes, pair of socks, pair of jeans, a uh, belt, uh, a shirt, and an undershirt. You're not going to tell the story about the belt separately. The belt. No <laughs> one saw the damn belt. No one saw the belt. But I was wearing a belt. Anyway, I look over at the till once it finally gets all rung up. And I saw the price, and I said, no, no, you can't do this. And he's like, no, 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 I am doing this. This is what I am doing for you. The The cost of that one outfit, $717 with tax. <laughs> the belt, $120. The undershirt, $60. The shoes were actually were the most realistic thing out of everything. They're decent shoes. Um, the jeans, $180. The shirt I was wearing, $180. I got more nervous because of that outfit I was wearing than <laughs> than all of the other crap that I had been dealing with for the last month because suddenly 
I was wearing a $700 outfit. And if I bombed, <laughs> they just wasted $700. Nice. Never mind the $100,000 and all this added work that people have been doing. Because this is kind of the culminating thing, you know, this presentation that we give. Uh, because we can get a lot of business off of this. Yeah. We did last year. We managed to land uh, three different contracts, three and a half contracts. Um, and so that means a lot of work for us for the next year. Anyway, went really, really well. Uh, I don't want to say I knocked it out of the park, but it went really, really well. Got a lot of positive feedback. We're already pretty close to signing some people uh, because of it, nice. um, which is we're like months ahead of where we were last year. Yeah. So in the end, it was all totally worth it. But man, was that aggravating. So I worked the booth while you guys were off doing some of the pre- preparation for the presentation and things like that. I worked the booth with one of our coworkers and the uh, the boss who paid for your clothes. Yeah. And the coworker asked, she she had heard that he paid for your clothes. And she asked, how much? And he said, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> and she turned and looked at me and she said, how much, Joey? And I said, well, obviously Reed doesn't want you to have the specific number, but I'm just going to go ahead and say, I think Reed spent as much on clothes for Pete for one day as I've spent in the past five years for clothes. <laughs> and Reed just, he just laughed. He's like, that that just fits you, Joey. Yeah. <laughs> that's exactly what I would have thought. <laughs> it's like, yeah, 700 bucks. I think it's probably five years worth of clothes for me. <laughs> Uh, okay, so the number one reason um, that uh, we didn't record for, for two months is Joey Smith. <laughs> All of this comes down on you. You have failed the podcast, and I'm disappointed. I waggle the finger of shame at you. Uh, I'll go home and make Aaron do the dance of shame on my behalf. <laughs> Let's move on. Um, we uh, we want to cover the season wrap up, then series wrap up. But uh, as we were, you know, doing the, the in between cut there on the the audio, uh, Joey remembered <laughs> this other spectacular, truly <laughs> spectacular story uh, that he wanted to share. So, Adventures in Republican Part Two, yes. Joey. So, uh, th- there's been a big fight in the state of Utah for the past year or so to protect the caucus and convention system. So it's the way that we elect officials here. The The parties have a convention where they have delegates, and those delegates have personally interviewed all the candidates. At least that's the theory. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have interviewed all the candidates and have decided which candidate is most fit for office, and the delegates decide who goes forward with the label of de- Democrat or the label of Republican. So the Republican delegates select a Republican candidate. Democratic delegates select a Democratic candidate, Constitution Party, so on and so forth. Uh, in Utah, for the most part, if you get the Republican label, you're probably going to get elected. Especially in Utah County, they, they frequently refer to us as the reddest county in the reddest state in the union. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, we, you know, we have a guy uh, running for county commissioner. His name is Greg Graves. And... The delegates select him. He comes out of convention running on a platform of fiscal responsibility for the county. Yes. We, we need to have... That sounds fantastic for a commissioner. We, we need to be fiscally responsible. After the convention is over, somebody comes forward. I don't even know who it was that first broke all this news. This man has filed for bankruptcy seven times in 12 years. 
you can even manage to file for a bankruptcy. Like, it would imagine it would have to be, you know, a couple of times within a 12 month period, like within <laughs> one year. Oh, I got to got to file for bankruptcy again. Well, apparently some of those like uh, there was one of them where it was and I, I, I'm probably going to get these wrong. I apologize in advance to anyone who knows this stuff and is cringing. But I think one of them was a Chapter 13 bankruptcy and he didn't meet the conditions of the Chapter 13 bankruptcy. Like he stopped making his payments to one of the the debtors or something like that. And so then he had to file a different kind of bankruptcy because they turned down, they declined his Chapter 13 bankruptcy. I think it was Chapter 7 that he went into then. I, again, I don't remember the specifics. Uh, anyway, so the, the problem within the Utah County Republican Party is that now we've got, going forward on the ballot, a guy with all these allegations. And there are people who are very, very upset about this. So we had in our executive committee meeting last night a very long conversation about how are we going to handle this? Because there are some people who are saying, you know what, if we do not stop this guy from running for office, then every Democrat across the country is going to point and say, hey, look what happens when you leave the Republicans in control. They elect a chucklehead like this. Yeah, and they'd be right. Well, here's the thing. Again, I only know allegations. I don't actually know the facts yet. Mm-hmm. Because the the result of the executive committee meeting that we had last night was, all right, we're going to have an investigative committee. We're going to sit down with Greg Graves. We're going to ask him about the allegations that have been made, which ones are true, what the truth of the situation is. And that investigative committee will come back to the executive committee and, and make a recommendation on what action we should take. Which, by the way, he doesn't – am I right in assuming he does not have to go and actually sit down? With you guys? We can require him to do so. Hmm. Yeah. What's the, uh, you know... The penalty? Uh, yes. We can with, we can legally withdraw our support from him. So he would not be able to run on the Republican ticket. So what are the... Okay, because that, that's interesting that you could withdraw your support and then he wouldn't be able to run. What are the other criteria for which you guys can basically do that? Uh, being dishonest. And there's some claims that that there was some dishonesty about his financial past. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the things that we have to investigate. Because here's the thing. Let's say that the guy comes forward. There's no other wrongdoing other than all this bankruptcy stuff. We can't do anything about that. Yes, it's unfortunate. But that is not something that we can, you know, there, there are laws protecting people who file for bankruptcy. And we cannot discriminate against him because he filed for bankruptcy. It's, it's, it's specifically forbidden by the law to discriminate against someone because they filed for bankruptcy. So we can't do anything about that. Now, if he misled anyone, if he, you know, there's some allegations that he lied about his past, if that's the case, then yeah, you know, we would have foundation to do something. But there, you know, there was some discussion last night. There was one person who advocated well, we should just start a writing campaign to elect someone else. One of his, one of his, his you know, uh, not running mates, but <laughs> competitors. What's the term I'm looking for? Competitors. Okay. You're no help at all. Nope. So in, in the race, he was facing off against several other people for the seat. They said, oh, why don't we get, why don't we start a writing campaign for whoever got the highest second vote, you know, second place votes. Well, the problem is that our constitution and bylaws specifically, specifically forbid us from doing so. 
there was some discussion about, well, if you read this sentence this way, we're okay to do it. But if you read it the way that Joey reads it, you're not okay to do it. So there was a lot of long discussion about that. And it, it all came down to, you know what? Let's have an investigation. Let's find out what the facts of the matter are mm-hmm. before we try and say what we're going to do. So, Is it not a matter of public record, the the um, the bankruptcy stuff? Yes. So they could determine if that is a you know a real allegation or not, right? And, and in fact, okay. uh, there's the, one of the things that we discussed last night at our executive committee meeting was going forward, all candidates will have a background check run on them by the Utah County Republican Party before convention, and those background check details will be provided to the delegates. Yeah, it's going to cost us some money every year, every cycle, but I think it's probably a good use of the money. Okay. Anyway, uh, just a, just a fun little story about you know no matter what happens, I think we're, the Utah County Republican Party is probably going to come out of this with a black eye, um, especially because <laughs> our chair, fantastic man, working very hard for the party, went out to the press and said, "Well, we vet these people very carefully." Huh. <laughs> well, apparently not carefully enough. <laughs> Indeed. Okay, well, we'll uh, we'll look forward to the uh, summation of that particular uh, story. Um, all right, let's get into Battlestar Galactica season four wrap up. And as a season, pretty good, I thought. Yeah, I enjoyed it. As the final season of a science fiction show, I thought it went well. Yeah. Uh, and we, there was a very some of those be pretty rocky. Yeah, and there was a very clear resolution to to everything. You know, there Most was things. Uh, the yeah, uh, sure, the big plot points. Yeah, the the main main things that that were few un untied various things. <laughs> untied. Yes. <laughs> um. So I did have one email um that I wanted to read here. There's a couple of others. Uh, my friend John Madsen and uh, listener Fishhead sent in a couple of emails. I want to cover those for the series wrap up. Okay. But this one here, I think is, uh, I think it could fit here. Um, overall, BSG was enjoyable. The big problem is that no one knew where the story would end. I especially don't like the idea with the final five. It seemed like they didn't know who to surprise the audience and make Cylons. Everyone was expecting Kara to be the last Cylon revealed, and Ron Moore decided to screw everyone over by making the last Cylon Ellen. Ugh, terrible plot hole. Wasn't the whole idea about there only being 12 human models introduced in the first episode? That should have been the time to decide who, what, the 12 models are. Anyway, that's my big rant for this series. Have a great week. Uh, Listener M, so say we all. Um, Okay. Thank you, you, Mark, for uh, for sending that in. It would have been much better done if they had decided at the front who the final five were, and then even I, I would prefer it if you would be able to look back and go, oh, that was kind of a clue. Right, who the final five were. I, I, you know, you don't want them to tip their hand too much, but you would like to be able to look back at the over the course of the show and say, "Yep, there were maybe little hints that this person." It's okay to have red herrings in there too, but to have the thread of, "Oh, you know what? There's probably some evidence all throughout the the course of the show." Right. The only thing that I can assume is 
at some point they're just concerned that this is oh maybe we're not going to have this particular actor stay with us maybe originally the plan was this and somebody didn't work out you know billy in the case of billy you know yeah some people suggested he should have been a cylon maybe he would have been you know in in the case of uh tory um who becomes the the person to replace billy maybe billy would have been one of those so i i could kind of see it but i'm with you it would have been much cleaner much better if they had decided who they were at the beginning and just kept it the the whole way out yeah would have been better um all right let's do uh, let's do our lists okay. um uh, let's see favorite bit part who uh, who's who's going where joey hera oh you're going first okay so your favorite bit part is Hera, the child, the child. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, while she is integral to the story, yeah. the actress is not on screen very much, but she did some cool things with the mythology of the series as a whole, and actually having that character be so instrumental to the wrap up of this, the big questions. So it's the character, not necessarily the actor that, per that's se. Definitely, yes. It's the character and the concept right. of the character. Okay. All right. I had a few uh, myself. I, I threw in Lieutenant Thorne in there. She was from uh, the, the episode razor, not really a part of season four, kind of a, uh, a mix in there. And then uh, my favorite, the hybrid you know, she was there. Mm, yeah. I, I enjoyed seeing the hybrid back. But I have to give this to Dr. John Hodgman, um, <laughs> who showed up in, in this he season. Did. That's true. And what a joy it was to see him. Even even playing a serious role, he still looked goofy and funny. <laughs> and uh, and that was, that was spectacular. Okay, Pete, most hated character. Starbuck. I'm going to go with Tori. Really? You, yeah. you hated Tori? I did hate Tori. That's interesting. Okay, I didn't hate her, uh, but uh, I guess I could kind of see why you might. Okay. Uh, for Hot Chick, I'm going to go with six. I, I don't think you can really go anywhere else. Not a lot of wiggle room in there. <laughs> yeah, but this this particular season did get kind of weird with six. Yeah. Right? Yes. Am I wrong in, in no. saying that? It, she definitely changed from what we saw season one. You know, season four, six is is different. You know, even the the head version. Yeah. It's even it's toned it's kinda, down yeah, more. It's, yeah. It's not overtly sexual. Not dripping with sex at every scene. Uh, but still, still gorgeous. Still hot chick of of all is is six. So I, I agree with you on that. Okay, Pete, favorite villain? Favorite villain? I am going to go with Tori because she was a real <laughs> sicko, terrible. She was screwing up a lot of things. Um, and yeah, I, you know, she's the, just slimy. The phrase that comes to mind is a fantastic line from The Dark Knight. Some men just like to watch the world burn. <laughs> right. Agreed. <laughs> uh, for me, I'm going to go with Cavill. You know, he's Cavill again, huh? Yeah. Okay. He he is just he is he is the villain of the series for me. Uh although I didn't choose him as my favorite villain, he is the villain of the series. He keeps the series moving by his villainy. Okay. Okay. Uh for funniest moment, 
I'm going to go with Cavill's suicide. <laughs> That's the funniest thing I have seen in a long time on television. Oh, frack. <laughs> uh, you're right. It, it's my funniest moment as well. Uh, but uh, a very close second was uh, Gaius trying to teach a Cylon toaster about the one true God. <laughs> Proselyting to uh, a machine. Yeah. But in the end, it's what in the world is going on in his head that is just all of a sudden, oh, frack, and he <laughs> blows his head off because he clearly just doesn't want to deal with whatever is about to happen. Um, that was so funny. So incredibly funny. Okay. Pete, your top hated episodes. Um, okay. I only had four this time, um, and I'm going to go with number four, The Ties That Bind. Uh, forget some of the, the main details of that one, but, uh, I'm, I'm confident it wasn't that great. Most of season four, I was, I didn't hate a lot of there. Yeah, I, I was with you. There, there's only one that I can really say I hated. Okay. The others were sort of like, nah, I didn't think they were that great. Uh, so number three is the road less traveled. Uh, number two, no exit. And number one, the most hated episode for me was Sine Qua Non, um, which I just thought was a big pile of stinking poo. Uh, I'm trying to. That's a Romo Lemkin episode. Yeah, I felt like it was just sort of thrown in there and it was just worthless. There was nothing great about it. Um, And yeah, I I was truly disappointed with, with that one. Okay. Uh, my number five was uh, He That Believeth In Me. This is the return of Kara Thrace, which I think was a shameful stunt. <laughs> have the courage to kill off a character, you cowards. You should have left her dead. You really should have. Uh, number four is The Oath. Uh, there's the, a lot of the characters in this episode, especially the main characters that I expect better of, seem pouty and mopey in this episode. And just a lot of heavy and this is the episode where they're starting the um uh the mutiny yeah and yes. uh, where gata and zarek are coming and they're going to take over the ship and all of the crap that's going to then happen yep uh number three is sine qua non yeah uh, i'm with you it just feels like they shoehorned this episode into yeah. the season number two is a disquiet follows my soul this is the beginning of the mutiny this is when they actually start actively start mutinying. A disquiet follows my soul. I don't even remember an episode named that. Yeah. Uh, it, mostly, I feel like it was not uh, very authentic to Gata, the way it, the way things broke down. Huh. Yeah, okay, yeah, that, that is the one that comes right before there. And I remember giving it sevens and not minding it at all. Well, okay, again, so okay. I, I mean, I gave it a seven. To say this is a bad episode, you have to take it in the context of this was not a bad season of TV. So I kind of had to nitpick. But I do feel like what they did to Gata's character in this episode just left a bad taste in my mouth for the right, uh, towards the writers. I just, I started do you feel to like it was bad storytelling? Or were you just upset at what they did to what was a really gr- good character? I felt it was this weird turn that Gata's character took that did not feel authentic to me. It didn't feel like it was within the scope of what I expected from Felix Gata. The direction that he went and how fast he fell into this 
this mental attitude of I'm ready to mutiny. Huh. Uh, okay. Okay. Uh, my number one most hated episode is six of one. And uh, this is where Tori has sex with Gaius. <laughs> yeah, that was an awkward episode for sure. And uh, Adama does the 180 on Kara and decides to give her the ship, which felt just really weird. He, you know, out of the blue almost, he's like, you know what? I've decided I'm going to trust you again. Yeah, that's been a theme, though, with Adama. No, no, absolutely not. Okay, here you go. <laughs> Uh, we stand strong. We will. Okay, here we go. Yeah. No, we will not forgive anyone. Okay, let's forgive everyone. <laughs> uh, for top favorite episodes, my number five, Daybreak. Okay. Okay. Uh, you know, again, it was it was a good resolution for the most part to, as far as science fiction resolutions go, it's no all good things. No, no, no. It's no sleeping in light. But it's certainly better than the last episode we got of Lost. <laughs> yeah. Uh, number four is The Hub. Okay, didn't make my list. I, I, I enjoyed this one. It, it made my list pretty high, I think, on the on the science fiction side of things. I, I, I enjoyed that episode. Uh, number three, Guess What's Coming to Dinner. <laughs> I like the title of that more than anything. <laughs> I, I really enjoyed that one. Uh, number two is someone to watch over me. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. And I got to I, you know, I didn't make notes on why for this last one here. Uh, my number one episode as I, as I kind of went through, by the way, I have to say loving ian.battlestarwiki.org was, was banned from it for three huh. years. <laughs> uh, very useful in putting my notes together tonight. Okay, good. So good. It's, it's a good wiki. It's well put together. I can't uh, remember if that's the one we use. I don't think it is, though. Not the one I've been linking to in, okay. in all of my uh, write-ups. Uh, no, number one is no exit. Oh, this is uh, this is where we see Ellen Ty is the fifth Cylon. Number your number one is no favorite exit. episode is no exit. Yes. Wow. Yep. That was in that was one of the ones I hated. Really? Yeah. Yeah. There you go. What what is it that you like about this so much? Uh, I think it was just that we finally get a lot of the things that had been bothering me about the show. A lot of things are revealed in that episode. Oh, wow. There's so much better stuff. <laughs> so much better stuff. Okay, why don't you tell me what's better? Uh, an, uh, uh, I guess an honorable mention, what I put as number six is Razor. Um, mm. Again, not really part of season four, but still a really good uh, uh, sh uh, episode that was put together, a little mini movie, I should I should say. Um, my number five is Revelations. Uh, oh crap! Again, forgot what that one is about. Uh, let's see here. This is oh, this is where they get they finally jump to Earth. They found Earth, and they get there. <laughs> and it's this complete waste. Wasteland. And everybody's just got this look on their face like they've just been punched in the gut or kicked in the groin. Um, we, I, we, at the time, we made the joke. Of, you know, I made the joke about how uh, what would have been fantastic is if we saw the Statue of Liberty sitting off to the <laughs> side, just like uh, in the uh, Planet of the Apes. Um, anyway, that's just a great episode. It's, it's, it's happening. It's finally happening. And oh, my gosh. 
this what what has happened to these poor this this earth it's no more that was fantastic okay number four goes to the oath I really enjoyed these set of episodes because no longer is it this, oh, I'm going to snipe at you and at your heels from, you know, uh, you know, here and there. No, this is officially getting in there and I am making my run at power and I want this. And that story is sad and really very good. And it's followed up with number three, Blood on the Scales which is the end of Zarek and Gaeta. And the lies that that Gaeta were told by Zarek that he bought lock, stock, and barrel, and he made some terrible choices. It's unfortunate because I loved Gaeta. Gaeta was my favorite character. And to see the horribleness that happened to him because of what Zarek did and the way that everything finished off was really sad. But in the end... We finally killed Zarek. Yeah. He's gone. Yep. That's exciting. <laughs> and I love that. Um, let's see here. Number two is Faith. Uh, I think that was towards the beginning. Nope. That is, yeah. Oh, yeah. Season episode six. Episode six. Yes. So this is early in the mutiny and. Uh, Kara the, and this, Athena and Leoben depart for the disabled Cylon base ship. Yeah, so what makes this so awesome is because this is what sets up all Gaeta's downfall. Mm. Because this is the episode where Anders shoots him in the leg. And he ends up losing his leg. And the mental state that he is now in, which he can't, he clearly doesn't have the, the ability to pull himself out of. And I don't know if there was just wasn't enough of uh, Admiral Adama to go around and love him and help pull him out of this, but he doesn't. And it's all because of this particular episode. And uh, it, it is just so sad to see that happen. Number one is Daybreak because it is the conclusion of this whole story. It is just fantastic to see, I mean, the the fight where they go to, to get Hera, you know, where they... Oh my! They leap right into this spot, right where the the colony ship is, and the battle that all of a sudden commences. It, and then they ram the colony ship, and then they finally jump away. And where they happen to jump to is what we now call Earth. That they turn into their now home. Um, a few other goofy things that happen along the way. I wasn't fond of. But this is a, a a phenomenal end to the story of the the Battlestar Galactica people. Okay, Pete, favorite overall character of the season. Uh, do we do one for the season? I don't think we do one for the season. Okay. Uh, let me look. Let me look back at my notes from I, I season. Found one in when I in the notes that I looked at, but no, maybe, maybe I, I don't. I've, maybe I've been making those and you've been not. Having me read it for a <laughs> <No>. while now. <laughs> we'll definitely have it for series. Okay. Definitely have it for series. Favorite overall moment then? All right. I've got three because I, I really enjoy season four so much. But I, uh, number three, Zarek being killed. You okay. know, honorable mention there. Number two, uh, getting to Earth and finding out that it wasn't the right one. <laughs> That's just a stunning moment. Um, but my number one 
because I, I go back to this and I, I think about it. I can see this from the very first time I ever saw this of when Galactica makes its final jump and it's right there next to Earth and you see it make the jump and it lands and then the whole ship just flexes and you can see what I like to think of as the spine just break Yeah, and you know that ship is done. It is done. There is no more to that ship ever. And I just absolutely love that moment of finality to to something that is so quintessential is the very essence of this show because of the name that it carries. Yep. Uh, you know, for me, did you have an audio clip in there? That, no. Because okay. well, no, the thing is just, it's yeah. just the visual of watching that okay. thing crunch. Uh, for me, the the favorite album. It's good because I don't. I didn't. Couldn't really think of a strong audio clip Mm-mm. for my moment. Yeah, I couldn't have anything. There's so no we'll piece just of dialogue that here. Uh, my favorite overall moment was Adama and the dying Rosalind flying off into the sunset, while Kara disappears without a thrace. <laughs> <laughs> that moment of of Rosalind and Adama, it, it was nice. Yeah, uh, you know, as after everything that they've done for everyone else, they're gonna take now. It's time for them to have some time for them, and yeah, he doesn't get much time with her, but he gets the closure I think that he needs in that relationship. Agreed. While Lee gets some closure in the relationship with the ghost of Kara Thrace, or the angel Kara Thrace, or what I I don't know, whatever you want to imagine she was. I'm done. I no longer have to worry about what she was. All right. Moving on to series wrap-up. Now, we have our lists, your standard-ish kind of lists, but there are a couple of emails okay. um, that were sent in. Did Aaron get one in? No. Okay. Well, uh, I can check. I can check. Uh, checking. Let's see. No. Okay. Nothing. He thought he might, but he didn't. No, for sure. Okay, so here is two emails. Very long. Okay. Emails. We're gonna start with Fishhead. I'm just gonna just gonna scroll here just to show you. Hey, it's a brainy email. <laughs> We're still scrolling. What is that? About five pages. Heck, if I know. Uh, probably six pages. We're gonna be reading for a while here, <laughs> but knowing. Uh, Dean, as I do, for the listener Fishhead, I'm confident he's going to give us some good stuff here. Okay. I haven't even pre-read this email. It doesn't matter anymore because <laughs> don't need to keep any secrets. <laughs> so, I begin. Okay, I have been waiting nearly 18 months to talk about a, a lot of this, and I probably have forgotten most of what I thought about saying originally which you may find hard to believe once you actually read this. (laughs) Way back when you started BSG, I had somewhat recently watched the BSG and Caprica, so I decided not to re-watch it along with you. I watched the original series instead and finished it a long time ago. (laughs) I actually enjoyed BSG, the original series, more than I thought I would but not enough to ever watch it all again. I tried to watch some of Galactica 1980, which takes place 30 years after the original series, but it was frankly unwatchable. After I discovered this fact, 
I still did force myself to sit through a few episodes that I thought might be relevant to the reboot. As a quick background to the two series, the original series ends with the fleet just missing a news transmission from Earth about the lunar landing. Interestingly, Glenn Larson took several of the episode arcs from this series and edited them into movies that were released internationally, not domestically, I think. When BSG first came out in the wake of the Star Wars juggernaut that got all the studios looking to cash in on the renewed interest in things sci-fi, 20th Century Fox sued Universal saying BSG stole dozens of elements from Star Wars. Universal countersued that Star Wars took ideas from Buck Rogers and other titles in their library. <laughs> I personally never saw the similarities. Vipers could be considered similar to the X-Wings, and if you thought really hard about it and squinted your eyes, maybe even a few other elements were comparable. But that had more to do with Ralph uh, McQuarrie, concept art, and John Dykstra, special effects, working on both projects, instead of the actual stories. The cases were both dismissed. In Galactica 1980, the fleet finds Earth 30 years later, and nearly all of the original characters are dead or gone. Adama and Boomer are still there, but the fleet is really led by a child super genius, Dr. Z, whom Adama consults with. So let's jump uh, into some, uh, some of my thoughts and observations on the original series, especially as it relates to the reboot. I hope you will forgive me if some of these might have been discussed back in 2012, but who can really remember that long ago? Overall, the whole tone of the original made it hard to take seriously. Many of the episodes took the lead from other shows of the era and ended on a lame, light-hearted joke or comment. Also, Starbuck was always trying to find ways to make a quick and easy buck, which seemed an odd thing for someone to do as society was collapsing and your very survival was at stake. The show was full of stories rehashed from sci-fi tropes, World War II shows, and westerns. Basically, it was light entertainment that hinted and teased at some deeper concepts. I don't think if uh, I don't know if the budget or network held it back, but there was potential there that wasn't realized, and I remember enjoying it as a kid when it first aired. For a show with the ragtag fleet of humans being the last hope of survival, for fear of extermination by robots who want nothing else but to destroy humanity, was constantly undermined by the stories themselves. In fact. There seemed to be a shift in the ruthlessness of Cylons as the series progressed that I wonder if it was network-driven. Why was it hard to take seriously how did it, um, and how did it undermine itself? For example, the Cylons let Baltar lead them. Why not just kill him? The logic they used to justify this was pretty thin, especially in the face of this continual incompetency as a leader. Also, as the fleet searched for the mythical Earth, they always found planets with other humans on them along the way. Mm -hmm. So how come the fleet was uh, humanity's last hope? 
when they left the planet of the weak, they knew that they were being followed by the Cylons, who would probably arrive and destroy the humans on the planet, if that is what they were really trying to do. But this wasn't ever really discussed. Also, the original series had other aliens here and there, although their low budget didn't allow for many. By pulling out all life of the universe besides the humans in the fleet and the Cylons, and keeping the Cylons after the humans for most of the reboot, the drama and realism was heightened. When Cylons didn't kill humans in the reboot, at least we got some explanations. If you don't go in with high expectations, giving leeway for the general state TV shows in the era, <laughs> and you look for interesting nuggets of ideas, the original BSG was bearable, and in some parts, even enjoyable. Especially if you are watching with the reboot in mind, or you keep your eyes open for tweaked LDS doctrine and concepts. Even though the Cylon robots were clunky, and why did they have swords? They are still creepy. Or perhaps that effect is simply a carryover from watching it when I was younger. The original series is really the Starbuck and Apollo show, whereas the reboot is much more of an ensemble approach, even though Apollo and Starbuck especially seem to get screen time than may be warranted. Interestingly, while Ty and Boomer were the token non-Caucasian in the original, I don't remember any major African-American character in the reboot. In fact, the original Boomer's background is, a stere is stereotypical for TV uh, of the era. Grew up in a rough neighborhood and has skills developing, developed from breaking or living on the edge of the law. There are plenty of other racial backgrounds represented in the newer version. While the reboot had mostly Greek-Roman influence with regards to the main religion and culture, and Old Testament influences on the major story concepts, lost tribes and wandering in the wilderness, the original had Egypt, uh, also had Egyptian, the helmets and pyramids on Kobol, for example, and even some Muslim elements. Quick notes on some details from the original. I had forgotten Jane Seymour was in the original series. She was a single mother who married Apollo and then died. Apollo's brother, Zach, was played by Rick Springfield. Gaius Baltar was played by John Colicos, the Klingon core in Star Trek The Original Series and Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Okay. Other stars that appeared in the series included Ray Bolger, Fred Astaire, and John DeLancey in a very minor role. <laughs> the triad basketball handball game is in the original. But of course, Apollo and Starbuck are the star athletes. Both series have the card game with odd-shaped cards. The expletive frack was also in the original, as well as several other best-forgotten made-up words and phrases. In the original series, the Cylons were created by some lizard aliens, which they rose up and killed, instead of being created by humans. More what must have watched the original and 1980 versions. There are some glaring reversals that must have been intentional. For example, 
Commander Kane of the Pegasus, is a hero, and he goes down with his ship, saving the fleet. Or does he? <laughs> also, most characters in the original are pretty thin and stereotypical, which actually is pretty normal for other shows made in the 70s and 80s. This is especially true of the women, where the reboot had many strong and more rounded original and gender-swapped from the original female characters, the first series only really had four women of note. Serena, Jane Seymour, Cassiopeia, initially a in-the-nature-of-firefly companion type character and love interest for Starbuck, who for some reason works uh, as a nurse as the series progresses. Athena, Apollo's sister and Uhuru-type communications officer. And Sheba, a pilot from the Pegasus, Kane's daughter, and Apollo's love interest once Jane Seymour dies. The less said about the portrayal of women in the original, the better. Moore was obviously trying to overcompensate for the glaring sexist issues and shortcomings of the original. Here are some things that happened in in various episodes that continued in the reboot or were possibly seeds for story ideas in the reboot. Baltar's character shifted from devious to bumbling to crazy, all while kissing up alternately to the Cylons and the colonists to save his skin. A mutiny on a ship in the fleet. The fleet included a freighter with disaffected refugees, a prison barge, a sanitation ship, and three agricultural ship, two of which were destroyed in a Cylon attack. The colonists captured a Cylon ship, which they used against the Cylons. Apollo functioned as a lawyer, defending Starbuck, of course, against a charge of murder in an episode. He enjoyed this role and, I believe, talked uh, about almost going into law when he was younger. Baltar was captured and tried for treason. Baltar and Apollo had to work together even though they couldn't stand each other. The Council of the Twelve overturned Adama's martial law. The Cylons were divided in how to handle the humans. The Galactica was attacked and, due to damage, various characters became separated, unable to communicate with each other. The fleet used prisoner volunteers on a mission as a suicide squad, offering them freedom if they survived. They found a planet with a base filled with human clones, with a limited number of models. While in a prison cell on a planet, Starbuck found a map painted on the wall by a previous inmate with information to help find Earth. At one point, they found a planet that they thought was the lost tribe on Earth. This planet had space travel and was divided in an east-west, think veiled Cold War, battle. The apartment Apollo ends up in was stylistically very much like Starbucks' place in the New Caprica. In an episode of Galactica 1980, there is a Cylon that looks human, but is mechanical instead of organic, like they are in the reboot. 
Moore took on some of the more social aspects and pushed them further than the original, which added to the credibility of the BSG universe. I actually wouldn't have minded another season's worth of episodes sprinkled among what already have uh, that would have focused more on how life on the run was affecting the common man in the fleet and how society was adapting to potentially permanently living on ships. There could have easily been more Cylon model copies in the fleet that were never discovered and maybe never even activated out of their sleeper mode. I feel there are so many issues that were never addressed that could have potentially made for some interesting characters and stories. The most surprising similarities between the original series and the remake came from the beings of light from the original series and the Cylons, as well as who or whatever is guiding the Cylons, and then the humans in the reboot. The beings of light appeared in several episodes, more than I remembered, in the original series. At one point, they tell Apollo that where a man is and as uh, that they were as man is and as they are, man may become, echoing the this has happened before and will happen again in the reboot. As I prepared to write this when I went to some BSG wikis to confirm details, I remembered from my rewatch of the original series and I learned that these beings were referred to as seraphs and seraphim in the original series scripts and notes, but never named as such in episodes as they were produced. This ties into the angel aspects referred to by the Cylons. These seraphs are referred to in episodes that don't they don't appear in, and one of the characters in an episode of Galactica 1980 is implied to be a seraph in the episode, and possibly the script. Here are some interesting things about these seraphs. Apollo dies in an episode, and the beings of light bring him back to life. Interestingly, according to notes on BSG Wiki, the screenplay for this episode originally had Starbuck as the main character in this episode and dying. But Richard Hatch complained that he wasn't getting enough screen time, so they switched characters and did minimal changes to the dialogue. One of the beings tells Apollo that what Apollo sees, the being's physical appearance, their ship, etc., is not really what is there, but what he is projecting for him to see, and that all of the light beings can create these projections. The beings help direct the fleet toward Earth directly and indirectly by giving them nudges and information and by helping them oops, uh, and by helping them. Well, no, I just uh, bumped my thing so it moved oh. down too far. Uh, and by helping them avoid some conflicts with Cylons and other humans at various times. The colonists encountered a man, Count Iblis, with abilities like the beings of light, who they learn is a fallen member of their race. Baltar remembers hearing his voice when he started working with Cylons, suggesting that Iblis prodded the Cylons to attack the humans. 
A Galactica 1980 episode explained why Starbuck was no longer with the fleet in a flashback story with Dirk Benedict reprising his role. Starbuck ended up stranded on a planet with a Cylon. They had to work together to survive. A pregnant woman basically appeared out of nowhere one day. Together, they protected her from other basic uh, other Cylons that arrive. She gives birth, and then she leaves and disappears. In the show, it is implied that she is one of the beings of light, and I think that the script notes did call her a seraph. This child is revealed to be Dr. Z, that ultimately leads the fleet to Earth. All of this suggests that even in the original uh, series, these higher beings are manipulating, helping humans to achieve something, or that the human Cylon issues are part of a larger cosmic plan. To me at least, it also indicates that Moore wasn't completely shooting from the hip, and many of the events and developments over the reboot's run weren't completely out of left field as similar ideas and plot elements were in the original and 1980 BSG series. Anyway, there is probably more than you wanted to know about the original series and everything. Feel free to watch it if you want, but avoid Galactica 1980 (laughs) at all costs, except for maybe the Starbuck episode. Now for BSG Odds and Ends. Regarding the ancillary reboot episodes, I haven't taken the time to watch the webisodes that go along with the rebooted series or the plan standalone episode movie. Can anyone give me their thoughts on those? I did enjoy Blood and Chrome with Adama as a newly assigned cadet. It is worth watching and I hope they make more. Caprica had a different less action approach to the BSG world. Just like BSG, there is an odd mix of old and new technologies. Adama was a child in it. It started off great with some incredible ideas, got weird in the middle, and seemed to lose itself, ignoring some plot lines, among other things, and then started to find itself at the end. And then it was cancelled. As an interesting twist, the religious terrorists in Caprica are human monotheists. The previews for the second season, which wasn't produced, started to bridge the gap between Caprica and BSG. It is too bad they didn't get it to pull it all together. I was looking forward to seeing the development of the Cylons, the start of the war, and the effect this all had on their society and their technology. With many science fiction TV shows and movies, Some scientist fan, at some point, writes a book explaining the science in the show, showing how things are or might be possible. I read an excerpt from a BSG version regarding blood. In the reboot, if if I remember correctly, the doctor mentions that there are two types of blood, and Hera represents a third. In our world, a similar thing occurred. Initially, they determined that there was A and B blood types. Eventually, they realized there was a third, which is now known as O. If these were our our ancestors and the blood type parallel is the same, then those of us who have 
O-type blood would be more closely related to, <laughs> to the, the Cylons. Cylons. <laughs> or Cylon hybrid. I can't remember. While those with A or B would be tied more to the humans. Interesting. Finally, here are some much briefer thoughts on the reboot itself. Overall, this is probably the most realistic science fiction series I have watched and enjoyed. The day-to-day technology isn't too far from where we are now, or were in some cases, and physics wasn't entirely ignored. The religious aspects of the show were fun and fascinating to consider. I wouldn't have minded additional pre-New Caprica episodes, if not another season, that really got into the society that was being formed with a fleet of ships on the run, and the implications this had on individuals. I think there is a lot there that could have been done. It was refreshing to see a relationship between two mature individuals develop and be conveyed pretty realistically. All things considered, even as those between the younger characters fell apart left and right. I love Bear McCreary's music for this series. He didn't do the original miniseries and listened, and listened to it frequently. Much like the juxtaposition of old and new technologies and poly versus monotheism create an otherworldly yet familiar universe visually and conceptually, the use of multiple non-Western instruments, vocals, and music traditions combined with electric guitars, traditional orchestral instruments, and even Bob Dylan's Watchtower is again familiar but different. The music is haunting, and not the usual upbeat score mirroring and enhancing the tone of the series. McCrary even took the original optimistic series theme and used it as the colonial anthem. Then he twisted it in several episodes to be less cheery, but still confident and hopeful. Throughout its four-plus seasons, BSG had plenty of surprises and revelations, but it was never a show driven to have plot twists just for the sake of having them. It was a show set in space with advanced technology that didn't allow the tools of technology to overpower or overshadow the purpose of the story. It was a science fiction show that didn't rely on, rely or even use the many of the tropes other scientific, other science fiction programs, including the original series, fall back into. At its root, the BSG remake was a show about people and society. Many characters were realistically imperfect, but not in stereotypical and cliched ways. Being a closed series with a beginning and middle and an end, people actually changed and or grew over the series. There were real, permanent consequences for decisions and actions that are missing from the various Star Treks and other science fiction TV series. And frankly, most American TV series in general. Edward James almost considered the BSG reboot to be a prequel to Blade Runner, with the android-human development and conflict happening again. What are your thoughts on this? Also, did they, could we, break out of the cycle? Until the next series. Um, 
wow, that was a lot to read, which meant it was a lot to write. Uh, Fishhead, uh, before we say anything else, thank you. That was a great summation of the original series and uh, some great thoughts on what we saw here with the reboot. Uh, Joe, you want to respond to his questions there at the end? Um, so I hadn't heard this idea of it being a, a prequel to... Well, I think Blade it's probably Man. just... That's Edward James almost. Okay. You know, because he was in both. I forgot that he was in Blade Runner. Yep. Yeah. Looks much different. Yeah. Much yeah, yeah, different. Yeah. yeah. He's what... 20, 30 years younger. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's got to be at least 30 because Blade Runner was in the 80s. S- early 80s? I think it was 84. Yeah, we'll have to look that up. Anyway, to to his question, uh, wh- what do you think? Uh, read, read the exact questions again for me, would you? What are your thoughts on this? Technically, that was the question. 1982, by the way, was when Blade Runner. Uh, Edward James almost considered the BSG reboot to be a prequel to Blade Runner with the android-human development and conflict happening again. What are your thoughts on this? Also, did they, could we, break out of the cycle? Okay, that was the one that I was that I was needing the, the refresher on. I, I, I like the idea that Blade Runner and the RDM version of Battlestar are are somehow tied together. Um, especially because it means that that Adama line breeds true throughout <laughs> several thousand years. Uh, let's say 170 or 152,000 years. Um, can we break out of the cycle? Absolutely. Uh, the, the other thing I'd like to pull in as, as a cultural reference is Isaac Asimov's Robots. Uh, especially the the Elijah Bailey and R. Daniel Oliva, Daniel Oliva novels, Caves of Steel uh, is the first one in that series, um, where it's humanity trying to find ways to coexist peacefully with the robots. And in this case, it's the... The three laws of robotics that are set down. I don't know how familiar you, how much you remember. We've talked about them before. I've read Caves of Steel. I, I said I don't know how much you remember, but the three laws are: uh, a robot cannot harm a human, or through inaction allow a human to come to harm. I'm not going to remember laws two and three now. They're not important. Yeah. Anyway, through the three through the three laws of robotics and through the character of of our Daniel, uh, we we see how one person or one side of this equation being willing to forgive, being willing to believe the best of the other can actually turn this situation around and, and make it a hopeful situation, a chance for greater things instead of a chance for oppression and, and war and destruction. So you think we can break out of this? Yes, I do. I don't think we can, at least not without uh, a massive uh, blow to society, without something that comes along just absolutely fundamentally shakes the very core of what our, you know, quote unquote civilization is today. I don't see that there's any way people are just too comfortable and selfish to to want to, you know, improve themselves one way or the other. It's just 
I don't see how it's possible without a massive thing to just shake them. Okay. All right. Uh, let's uh, move on to my friend John Madsen, who actually sent in two emails. So we'll do the first one here. He says, I went looking for my list of end-of-series Battlestar stuff I wanted to talk about, but couldn't find it. There's Maybe there's not much to say anyway, so right now I only want to talk about one topic. And unfortunately, I think this would have been made a better discussion than letter, but whatever, here goes. Types of Cylons. Here's what we've got. One, toasters. Two, the first seven, or eight, apparently. And three, the final five. The way I understand it is the very inappropriately named Final Five lived their lives on the first Earth in peace with robots similar to the toaster Cylons from Caprica and the other colonies. But not necessarily the same types of robots since they advanced technologically separately. I don't remember the episode this was introduced, but I get the feeling the Final Five aren't so much robots as much as they are humans who live with robots, but have managed the ability to transfer their consciousness into new clone bodies. They are biological, not mechanical, and always have been. They have enhancements that allow for resurrection and communication, but at their core, they are biological. The other seven models are similar, but distinctively different. They are biological creations created by the Final Five. In this sense, they are closer to robots than they are human, or at least human-like creators. They are programmed, but the mechanics of their programming still end up in a very squishy, very biological brain. They also can have their consciousness transferred into clones. I think calling the original creators the Final Five is one of the most misleading things about the show. We've had it in our heads from the beginning that the humanoid models are the next step to the toaster Cylon evolution, when they really have nothing to do with each other. Also, the Final Five and the other seven, or eight, really aren't as related to each other as much as one would think when all the models are numbered in the same bunch, and the first ones to come along are actually numbered 9 through 12, um, or 13, I guess. I'm guessing the only reason they mentioned the unseen Daniel, number 7, model, is because they'd already established Boomer as 8, before they wanted to make the 5 last ones super special and therefore numbered all in a row. Although, if they realized they'd settle on the final five being that special, they probably shouldn't have sequenced them in the group of 12 at all. This link sort of agrees. Anyway, (laughs) that leaves us with the toasters. The one thing I really wish, I really, really wish the series explored further is the nature of these, the truly original, mechanical, artificial intelligence of the show. 
It's told to us that it's the centurions that convinced the first earthlings, firstlings, to go to monotheism. That's fascinating. But how did they do it? How did they achieve that kind of faith, and how were they able to have that kind of persuasion? As I watched the last season, I was hoping against hope that if they truly were the that broad in their completely unique culture, it would be cool to actually have a centurion character or two. I'd love to see the cold, logical robot that's also driven by the zeal and love of a saint. Perhaps it's easier to say what the centurions are than to show their fervor in action, because it would be too difficult to pull off. Instead, we only see them as show props, all the way to the end, kind of like how all the humanoid characters see them. If nothing else, I would have loved to see an entire episode from a toaster's perspective. Oh well, perhaps next reboot. <laughs> that would be a weird show. I'm not sure how well it would play. I'm not sure how you tell that story because I, I just don't see it very plausible, but... If someone has the idea and the logic is there, I don't see why it couldn't be awesome. All right, John's second email. Hey, one more thing about the last episode of BSG. Did anyone else notice that the final episode is incredibly similar to some of the events of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy series? I think it's specifically between the second and third books. Earth was created as a giant living computer to somehow come up with a question to the answer of life, the universe, and everything. The humanoids that populated Earth had within them the program to figure the meaning of life after a certain amount of time. The programming was corrupted, however, when the ship of phone sterilizers and bureaucrats crashed and mixed with the population. This resulted in Earth not discovering the meaning of life, but rather falling into the same cycle the rest of the universe falls into. Uh, okay, John, thank you very much uh, for emailing in. Uh, that was quite a lot to write along with everybody else, and uh, I appreciate what you had to say there. Um, yeah, the the Cylons, it, it just doesn't seem like they really thought through the final five very well. Yeah. It just just seemed awkward nothing nothing about it really feels right or great and uh it's you know too much of of it just felt shoehorned and forced in um so that's yeah that's that's my take on it probably the worst one is, is tyrell i can live with anders i can live with um uh, uh tori um even to a to an extent i can i can live with ty but I don't know. It, it all just didn't seem super right to me. Um, so anyway, John, thank you very much for sending in your email. Okay. We're ready to move on to our lists here. Sure. So Pete, favorite bit part. Okay. Uh, my top three here is going to go to uh, number three, Dr. Roberts. This was the guy... Uh, who plays? Uh, we we've seen him a number of times. This is the the guy who was killing people? Yeah. Uh, the the sir, I can't remember which type he was killing, but he was killing them. Sagittarians. I just like that actor. I thought he did a really good job playing kind of a 
a skeevy doctor uh, in the end who just, you know, hated people. Um, so number two is Dr. John Hodgman, because uh, he's great. Um, and then my number one is the hybrid. Uh, just the, the, the woman who did that um, sitting in a bowl of goo uh, <laughs> for however long she needed to do that. It was... I, the way she managed to create a character that had no emotion, uh, that occasionally just, you know, erupted with an outburst, um, it, it was phenomenal to see, and I loved that character so much. Okay. Uh, I've got uh, my... I'm going to do my favorite one first. Uh, number one is is Callie. I still like her as a character, yeah, she kind of, you know, as she, a bit part. I don't think she was a main character. I really never felt like she was. God, she was there throughout the whole series, though. Well, she wasn't there in the entire fourth season. <laughs> she was. Or she for got, part of the fourth season. <laughs> See, I, I uh, put Callie right along the same lines as Guinan, and I know we had the the Guinan yeah, talk a long time before, but she just seemed like she was too much a part of of uh, of a lot of things. But anyway, you like her. Yeah, and I actress like or character like character like. Yeah, okay. I I know I know that not everyone did. Yeah, but I I enjoyed it. Uh, my number two is the hybrid, and then my number three, and then this is another one where you might argue whether it's a bit part or not. But I felt it was. We just it's so yes, it's a it's a, it's a character that motivates the story but there's so little on screen time i felt okay saying leoban oh okay yeah i would consider him a main character again but uh he definitely was one of those polarizing type of characters that just he took the screen when he was there really i thought he he delivered some some spectacular scenes yeah very very visceral uh, but he just wasn't on camera that much for most of the series. So, uh, for my most hated characters, I've got Gaius. Still hate Gaius. You hate Gaius. Yeah. Uh, never. The character was never redeemed for me. He was he was entertaining at times, but most of the time it was just like you know this is just exactly the kind of slimy waste of humanity that I hope does not survive the apocalypse. Uh, number two is Helena Kane. Didn't care for the character. Really? Yeah. I, she, she's okay. too, I don't know, too over the top. And uh, my number one most hated character, I wish they would have just, would have been so much easier if they just killed this guy at the start, Tom Zarek. <laughs> you didn't like Tom Zarek. I hated him, but I liked to hate him. Yeah, see, it's a it's a different way of of explaining that. There, I, for me, my my hated character has been Starbuck throughout the entire thing. <laughs> she was awful. She was absolutely terribly acted, terribly written, and it was it just stunk the whole way through. And it was over and over and over again. And it was, oh, we need something really spectacular. Oh, hey. Kara Thrace, she's fantastic at all of these things. We'll just use her for everything. And it was awful. Use her for less things, and I might. I might have been willing to like her a little bit more, but probably not. 
I think, I, I, I as I mentioned, there was only two episodes that I really felt like I, I thought I liked the character of Starbuck throughout the whole series. The rest was just awful. I, I, I don't think you're being fair to Katie Sackhoff. I think she was given a, a bad hand and had to, had to play the best she could with what she was given. I'm not seeing her in anything else to think that she is particularly good. Check so, out uh, Longmire. I don't see me doing that, but uh, my my hate of Starbuck continues on unabated. Okay. Do you have? Two nope, more? that's it. Oh, just just the one. Just the one. Okay. Well, she can fill up uh, spots two and three as well. <laughs> you hate if so I much. need to add the the other two. Okay, hot chick. Uh, hot chick number three is going to go to number eight. Okay. Uh, I thought Boomer was actually it's just a gorgeous woman mm-hmm. uh, in general. Um, number two is going to go to D Duala uh, because just the way they position that camera a lot of times <laughs> just made her eyes come alive, and I just could not help but stare into them longingly. <laughs> uh, and for pure animal sexual uh sexuality is six that woman just screams not femininity because it's not femininity but it screams i am a woman that you desire and i desired her she's gorgeous (laughs) and uh she's just just super hot okay uh i've got the same list although i've i have swapped uh Boomer and Dwala. Okay. So Dwala's my number three. Boomer's my number two. Six is my number one. Interesting, because I don't think you ever awarded Boomer your hot chick award. But you awarded... it in the first season. I don't think so. I, well, okay. We both had six pretty much standard thrown okay. out there. <laughs> God, I, pre- was... I was pretty sure I played against the expectation in the first season wrap-up, but I could be wrong. Okay. Uh, for favorite villain, I really only had two. Uh, it was Cavill and Zarek. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I could, I, I didn't, uh, okay. Wh- which is which? Uh, Cavill's the most villainous. Again, as I, as I mentioned earlier, it's his villainy that drives the series forward moment to moment. Like he is behind most of the bad things that happen to the colonies and then the subsequent yeah, we we come to find out he is. Yeah. You're you're right. He he's been playing this game all along. Um even with the the whole final 5 stuff, you know. He yep. knew who they were. Um I should have included Zarek, but I don't think I would change my list here. Uh number 3 is going to go to Gaius Baltar. He was an awful villain. He was in so many he was times. He was he was a he terrible was, thing, but <laughs> he was a villain. He was actively, in many ways, not helping the humans. That's okay. villainous. Number two is Cavill. Uh, for all of the reasons you mentioned, uh, he was—he's just a terrible, terrible entity uh, of a person. But my number one is Admiral Kane, and it's because sh- what she did, she did to humans. I just didn't like the character, though. Gaius Baltar did some awful things. Um, it's true to humans, but not not anywhere close to the scale that uh, Admiral Kane did. Because it, 
really what seals it is, oh, we've come across these helpless ships. Oh, okay. Yeah, we're just going to cannibalize whatever we want off of you. And if you happen to survive, okay, great. We don't care. Yeah. We're more important than you. And that is the reason why she is the worst. She's the villain that is just the most supreme villain of them all. She did it to her own kind. But you actually liked her as a villain? As oh a villain. yeah, I, she is despicable. Absolutely despicable. Yeah, I agree she's despicable. I just didn't like her. I didn't think she did a good job. I didn't anyway, sorry. Uh for funniest moment. Okay, I had some oh, this was tough to choose. Um and uh you know, again, explaining to uh, what God is to a t- chrome toaster was was funny. Uh, another very close to winning this, Joey's reaction to the return <laughs> of Starbuck as he st- storms out of the room. That's it. I give up. This, I'm done with this. I am so done with this. Um, but the funniest one is Gaius Baltar when he's introduced to uh, the, the, I can't remember what her actual name was, but a six and he's there on CIC and it's, <laughs> you, can you, 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 you can all see her. Oh yes, of course. This sheer panic that's in his voice as he had just been having this conversation with her. He thought aside, nope, everyone heard what he just said yeah. and he is just so totally mystified. I cannot help but think about that. And not laugh when I when I see it. Uh, for me, uh, I, I one of my one of the ones that I liked the most was uh, the just the macabre moment where uh, Ty and Adama are sitting around and and I can't remember which one says which, but one of them says. So I hear they're eating paper now. <laughs> <laughs> nope, paper short. <laughs> <laughs> that was such a brilliant line. It really is. And of course, they just fall apart laughing together. Yeah. Uh, and it is just so, so dry humor that it's spectacular. <laughs> really good. And of course, we. I sorry to jump ahead here, no, you're but good. you're good. Anything Cottle ever did was just <laughs> funny. He was the comic relief so much. Uh, my number two is Cavill's suicide. I just think that was absolutely fantastic. Yeah. But for me, the funniest moment, and I can't even remember what else was happening in this episode. I just remember laughing so hard at this and feeling bad because I shouldn't be laughing because they were trying to go for an emotional reaction. But it's Adama painting the wall. Yeah. <laughs> he goes in the room and he just starts throwing paint. <laughs> just, I just thought it was hilarious. It was so ridiculous. Yeah, I remember. Uh, yeah, with, when we were talking about that uh, in the podcast and saying, "Yeah, he's just really bad at painting." <laughs> you're like, you're like, I feel like there's a better way to do that. <laughs> uh, for for top hated episodes, I, I I came to find I just. Didn't hate that much of, of Battlestar Galactica. Had the same problem with I, creating my list. Yeah. I hated the experience of watching it without foreknowledge. Yeah. It was very, very draining for me every week to think, I'm going to have to go through this experience yet again. Uh, I'm glad I did it. I enjoyed the series on the whole. And I think that's reflected in the fact that 
I only came up with six episodes that I really hated. Mm, interesting. Okay. I only had seven myself. Uh, and so my number six is The Hand of God. Uh, this is the episode where the fleet is out of fuel and they're going to attack the Cylon fuel processing plant. Oh, right. Okay, yeah. And in this one, I just I hated the introduction of Starbuck as some kind of tactical genius. Uh-huh. thought that was terrible. Bad idea. Uh, they did that several other times, but this is the one where it really started to just rub me the wrong way. Uh, my number five is The Sun Also Rises. This is where Lee was made a lawyer for no reason other than, well, we need to have a main character in these scenes. Yep, <laughs> yep. exactly. Uh, my number four is Valley of Darkness, or as I like to call it, the Blair Robot Project episode. Valley of Darkness? This is the one where the one. Uh, Cylons board the Galactica, and we get the really bad, shaky hand cam camera work. And it's kind of the horror episode oh, of the Oh, right, series. right, right. Yeah, yeah. I love that episode, actually. The intensity of what goes on there. The didn't... sheer terror of the boarding party. Yeah, yeah. We, we disagreed with this at the time. Yeah. I remember now. Uh, number two is Black Market. Huh. I, don't, I don't think I need to defend my, my no. hatred there. No. And my least favorite episode of all time, Sacrifice. This is the death of Billy the Cylon. This is, again, Starbuck being shoehorned into hostage negotiator slash marine yeah, stormtrooper. Yeah. This is uh, Lee and Dwala, their relationship being weird and awkward. Just there's a lot of things about this episode that did not work for it's me. It's bad. It's like it's a bad 80s television yeah, show. Yeah, that's a good you know, way to episode. Put it. That, like a know. bad episode of the A-Team. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it really is. All right. Um, you've hit on some of mine. My uh, number seven hated is The Sun Also Rises uh, because, again, oh, Lee. Hey, okay. Yeah, he can be a lawyer now. Number six is Unfinished Business. Uh, I don't exactly remember which that one was. I felt like it was season... Uh, was that season three? Yeah, Unfinished Business was in season three. And I remember it not being great. Yeah, okay, here we go. Uh, it's the boxing match. Oh, okay, okay. And I just... I, You're right, that just, one was not... How it was like TKO. No, no, it was not. TKO was so much worse. It's not even doesn't even rise to that level of putrescence. Uh, no, unfinished business just it didn't fit. It worst is the way it ends with Starbuck and um, yeah. Lee fighting each other for what reason, and then they awkwardly hug each other with blood and sweat all over him, and, and that's some resolution. Um, so no, it wasn't, it was terrible. Number five is hero. Um, uh, blanking on why that one is, but I remember that it was bad. It was at the top of, I think it was like season one, maybe. No, maybe that one's season three too. I don't know. It was bad. Hero didn't like it. Number four, you can't go home again. Um, okay. Not sure. I don't remember what that episode's like. Um, don't remember the specifics of it. 
Um, let's see here. I lost my place. No, sorry. Number four is actually sine qua non. Mm, Number. Yeah. Wow. I, I didn't care for that one, but I didn't hate it as much as you did to make the the series hatred list. Number three was sacrifice uh, for the reasons, again, you, you mentioned. Number two, you can't go home again. Uh, I can't. I can't remember what that one was about. Number one is black market. What a waste of our time to have to watch that episode. It's just seriously so dumb. I still think they should have come back at some point to having Lee be kingpin of the. That yeah that that only makes the, <laughs> you sound more dumb. It, it, it just it would have. It's one of those things where. You can make things bad enough that they wrap around to being awesome. I don't think so. Can't possibly see that's the case. Okay, Pete, your top ten favorite episodes. Okay, uh, this one was tough. Um, I had a really, really hard time because I loved a lot of the these episodes. But number ten, Cobal's Last Gleaming. Um, this is, I think, where they finally get to Cobal. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, then there is this, um, the Gaius finally gets to go into the opera house. This yep. is the first time he's seeing into the opera house, which was pretty awesome. Number nine is collaborators. This is the episode where they see, uh, there are a bunch of, um, this is after new Caprica and they're going after the people who have come back into the fleet who were Cylon oh, okay. Okay. collaborators. Yep. I really enjoyed that, okay. watching uh, watching it happen. Number eight is Rapture. Um, blanking on the specifics about that one, but when I put this list together, it was, it was at my uh, number eight. Number seven, Blood on the Scales, uh, which is one of the ones I mentioned. That's the, from- that's the end of the mutiny, right? Uh, yes, it is the end of the mutiny. Number six, Faith. Um, and I'm blanking on Faith as well. Number five is Crossroads. Number four is 33. Okay. Uh, that what is a phenomenal start to season one of Battlestar Galactica. It's... They're they're just getting chased all over the place, and they don't have a second to to rest at all. Every thirty three minutes, the Cylons show up. Every thirty three minutes, like clockwork, running them down ragged, and it is awesome. <laughs> Number f- let's see here three, Pegasus. Uh, this is where we're first introduced to Admiral Kane and the Pegasus ship, and what starts there everyone's super excited oh my gosh we've just doubled our firepower now and it's even one of the newer versions of of battle stars so this is this is even better for us so many good things are happening but something doesn't quite seem right and that's followed up with resurrection ship which is the finality of admiral kane and everything that happens with that particular ship um, and what happens to its crew, and we come to find out all the terrible things that they have been doing, and the way Admiral Kane runs her ship. 
um, is a phenomenal set of episodes. There was a part one and part two. I just combined them together because they are so fantastic. Number one, of course, is Daybreak because of the finality uh, of the show. It's all wrapped up pretty good, and I just love the way that it ends. Okay. Uh, so for my number 10, I also put Kobold's Last Gleaming. My number nine is Crossroads. This is the the Baltar trial. And it's when uh, Adama finally has to testify in Baltar's trial. Okay. Okay. You had it on your list, but yep. you were saying yep. you didn't remember what it was. Yep. Yep. Uh, number eight is Maelstrom. I thought it was a good death for the character of Starbuck. They should have left it that way. Except it doesn't explain much because of all of the, the setup that they were trying to do. But I thought it was a good way to... like. We'd seen it's a cool her. death. It's a cool it's, death. It's not just that it's a cool death. It's that she had been on this downward spiral, and she goes in, and she like it just it wrapped up that arc for that character. As yes, well. but they had, they had been hinting at oh all of these things that Kara Thrace is supposed yes. to be doing. No, I, and I, that I, would, I get, that would I get not have point. been fulfilled at I all. I get your point that you know she was supposed to be this, but you know what? Sometimes. The messianic figure slips and falls, and someone else is there to take their place. And I would have been okay with that story-wise. Yeah, yeah. Uh, number eight is, or sorry, that's what I already gave number eight. Number seven is six degrees of separation. I I can't remember specifics off of, off the top of my head right now, but I liked that episode. Uh, number six is home part two. This is where they find the star map, leading the you know the arrow of Apollo or. Yeah, yeah, the the star map where the, it's actually there on Cobalt, right? Yeah, where they yeah. actually find it. Yeah, that is actually really pretty I cool. That was a cool, cool episode. It was just like just that one portion of it that I really liked. The rest of it, it's like they were trooping up the hill to go and find this place, right? That's what that episode yeah. was about. Okay, okay, good, good, remembered, cool. Uh, number five is Flight of the Phoenix. This is the ship that they build from scratch or from new parts. Oh right, yeah, the super ship. Yeah, forgot about the super ship. Uh, enjoyed that. Wish it would have gone more. Uh, numbers four and three are resurrection ship part two for number four, and resurrection ship part one for number three. Just some cool science fiction stuff happens here. Uh, it's where we see the. <laughs> I think it's part two where it's we love you, Sharon. We love you, Sharon. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> anyway, uh, I really, really enjoyed that episode. Uh, number two is Exodus Part 2. This is where Saul poisons Ellen. Yeah, that was my number 11. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's a good one. Because it's not just that. It's also that's the bucket drop. Yes. Yep, you're right. Yeah. Thank you. I, I hadn't written that down, but I, that was part of it as well. Uh and then my number one episode of Battlestar Galactica, and in my opinion, what should have been the introduction to the whole world of, to the series, and not the miniseries. I think the miniseries should have come after showing everyone 33. Sure, yeah. Okay. Yeah, 33 was really, it's a great episode. It, it, it was so compelling. It was You could feel the oppression and the anxiety and the stress and the exhaustion. Mm-hmm. Every actor played well in it even starbuck i think you would you could say did a good job in that episode no <laughs> <laughs> All right. i really really like 
I, you know, we got through the miniseries and I was still kind of dreading this whole exercise. And I watched 33 and I was like, okay, I, I'm in. At that point, I was, I was sold that this was going to be worthwhile. Still feel like it was worthwhile, but most of the episodes did not hold up to the quality of 33. Uh, okay, Pete. Or no, so uh, introduction episode? Whatever you I, want. I, I, I've only got one. Did, are we supposed to do multiple of these? No. Okay. So it, I, it wouldn't make sense to do multiple of those. It's a good point. Make a, make a good point, sir. Uh, I think I already tipped my hand on this one at 33. It's what it should have been the first introduction for everyone. To the yeah, the, uh, 33 is spectacular. But it is it doesn't introduce anything. It's just we're on the run. And th- we only know that because of what happened in the miniseries. We don't have all of that history that tells us what had just happened. For me, it's the miniseries. I liked it. I know you didn't. But it worked for me. It got me hooked into the rest of the the entire series. And I I, I thought about other show other episodes within you know season one ish, and none of them really work to fit because so much of this is okay building 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 building. There's nothing that I can pull out of a you know episode thirteen and say. Okay, yeah, that introduces everybody to the characters, and you can then fall in love with it, and then go back and rewatch the the first set of episodes and be okay. I don't think that's the case. It just doesn't work. I see what I see what you're saying, but I disagree with you. I I do think thirty three is there's enough introduction to characters. I think I think it would work. Okay, Pete, best season, season two, uh, for me. Even though season four is great. Um, and it wraps everything up kind of nice. There's a few clunky things that I didn't like. Season three was atrocious the first time I had to go through it. A little bit better the second time. Um, and season one had some pitfalls that are just a, a season one. That's just what happens with a new show. Season two felt really solid and good um, in a lot of what they did, and I it's it's my favorite. Okay. I have to go with season three. As I looked over my list, most of my favorite episodes came out of season three. Mm-hmm. And so the highlights of the series for me happen in that series. So that's why I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it to, to season three. Uh, now, my favorite overall character, I think a few people are going to be surprised by this. I'm going to go with Head Six. Huh. As frustrated as I was by trying to understand what she was and 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 still don't feel like we ever got a really good resolution to that whole thing. The part that she played in the arc of humanity's flight through the stars. I look looking back on the series, I think if you take there there are two characters that you cannot take out of this series without completely destroying it entirely. Adama. Uh-huh. And had six. And of the two, as much as I loved Adama, I think because of the, wait, what is she? And how did all this work? And what's going on? I was more compelled by the character of Head Six. Uh, I am a little surprised to hear you say that. I, I like the fact that you chose Head Six. I, I think that's pretty cool. Um, I But I am surprised. Uh, my I'm so tough. I love Adama. He just is this guy. I would follow... Commander Admiral Adama anywhere. 
I will go where that man goes. There's a morality to him that is there and I appreciate, but he's not my favorite character. Um, I, it's a weird toss up of Doc Cottle, <laughs> Gata, and I can't believe I'm saying this, Gaius Baltar. Really? <laughs> and it is, it's tough. Cottle is because he's just so dry and funny and he's got he, the good lines. <laughs> it's just so phenomenal. And uh, Gaius Baltar because he was wacky and screwed up, but also good in other places. In the end, I think I identify with Gaeta much more as a person. And that's why I'm so unhappy and sad about what happens to him. Because it happened to you. It kind of seems like it happens to me. Uh, because the he's just so rock solid all the way through. And, you know, he's right there helping along the, the Admiral, doing whatever he needs for him. He's this key guy, but he's not the most important guy. Um, and then his fall happens. And it's a, it's a bit sad. Uh, and I think even though the fall happened and I'm sad, the resolution of, of that character arc makes sense. I wish it didn't have to happen, but it did. And I'm, I, I'm okay with that. Okay. So your favorite overall moment? Um, well, I have a top three. Okay. Uh, for this, uh, I don't know if you put together a top three. I or only not. put together one. Just one. Yeah. I looked back and again, we had done top threes, uh, of this as well. Um, of, of some of the series. Um, well now I bet I could probably get it down to one. I bet I could probably get it down to one. You I, know, I can, I can make it three. I, no, I have, I have I a second and a third. I don't think so. I'll just maybe mention these. Okay. Um, as and yeah, yeah, they're, they're all, they're all honorable mentions. <laughs> they're, they're all great in their own way. Um, I think, Number, my first honorable mention is Gina killing Admiral Kane. Okay. Uh, just a, okay. a solid scene of, I don't like you and what you did, and now you're dead because of it. Um, number, yeah, th- ugh, this was so close. That it almost was, almost was, but the bucket drop is just a stellar scene of visual cinematography that, you know, I guess maybe not cinematography, but... Uh, uh, um, uh, Tactical battle. C- computer animation and what they did to to be... It was just so cool. Yeah. My number one is it comes from the episode 33. I'm pretty sure it comes from that. They're all sitting in a room, a bunch of the big wigs, the heads, the smart people in the fleet, all the people who are leaders, so to speak, and they're discussing what the fleet needs in order to continue living. And Gaius Baltar says, okay, we need so much uh, pounds okay. of meat, so much pounds of grain, so much of water, so much of this and this and this. And they're like, oh, wow, that for an entire year. And he's like, no, that's for one week. <laughs> and the it becomes so incredibly real at this point. And I'm glad they didn't spend a ton of time on this. 
but you know they finally give this acknowledgement to okay we can't just magically make food appear out of nowhere you know food's this resource that's always plentiful everyone can eat it it's like in D&D we never bother to you know count off our rations when we're traveling <laughs> along on this quest because it's stupid it's inane it's it's not important but they spend some time and indicate this is a real issue yeah and if you're going to have this society you better be able to feed them because if you can't society isn't going to work it's going to crumble to its knees um i i love i absolutely love that scene okay uh my my honor, first honorable mention or my third place award goes to it's over <laughs> it's finally over mm-hmm. i don't have to worry about this anymore sigh huge sigh of relief it's it's over as much as i enjoyed it it was it was exhausting for me uh my number two is the bucket drop it's just fantastic i remember you wanting to watch i think we watched we watched this episode together right yep and, uh and curtis might have been with us might have been and and you were very anxious and re- looking forward to my reaction to the bucket drop uh it's fantastic just really really well done but uh and and i know pete you're gonna roll your eyes and groan and and whatever this is better damn well not be a starbuck thing it is a starbuck thing holy shit and it's a starbuck thing that you hate that I really enjoy. Yeah, I know. I can already hear you saying it. So I'm just gonna I'm gonna put my my fingers in my ears. <laughs> I don't have to listen to this. What do you hear, Starbucks? Nothing but the rain. Then grab your gun and bring in the cat. It's a great connection between those two characters. Well, that brings us to the end of another podcast. We hope that you've been inspired to take a deeper look at your entertainment choices and discuss it with friends, family, or just a couple of complete strangers you only know from the internet. As always, we invite your comments to our email at trekwest5 at thehomestarmy.com. You can tweet Pete at trekwest5, or you can call and leave us a voicemail at 801-508-4242. So until next time, I am Joey. And I am Peter. And we thank you for listening. Disaster heart.